This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I am Chris Hambling and I will be guiding you through our look back at all things Palace as the Eagles launched a real smash and grab raid of St James's Park. Roy Hodgson's men took all three points from the late Milivojevic penalty after Yedlin failed Zaha in the box. We'll talk about all the key topics, looking at selection of listener questions and joining me to do so this week are DR Kerners, Mike Scott. After this short break, we'll get right on with it. Back of the Nest, Match Preview Podcast. Hello, good listeners. Terence from the Preview Podcast here. Look out for our preview show from the Man City game coming up from Thursday onwards, when we will be going to look for a third game in a row unbeaten against Manchester City. Three games unbeaten in a row. Does that mean we get to keep Pep Guardiola? I don't know, he probably plays a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let's leave that there. I've enjoyed talking to you about music. Perhaps we could do it again. Uh, I think Mike, I'd rather listen to been? Shakespeare than Drake, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I too have been prepping for some gigs. Got a festival coming up in a couple of weeks and stuff. So I've been doing a bit of practicing and getting a, a very very out of practice band together uh obviously missed the show last week because i was in rome which was absolutely lovely uh and my kids have been playing up one of them bit a hole into the other one's arm so yeah fairly eventful couple of weeks well you know they say kids are gonna bite aren't they that's what they do Uh, that's what that's what drake reckons yeah yeah yeah, i think it's one of his uh one of his one of his hits isn't it dr no 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 no. (laughs) i don't know maybe shakespeare yeah, we well, see, not see, Mike's actually in a band. You know what I mean? He, he he like he does things like you know he has an instrument and, and sings. Well, is it singing? It's not. It's not in any way. No, <laughs> it's shouty, yeah. isn't it? I don't know how do I would yeah. feel about it. I was going to say that, but I feel uh, it might be a bit offensive um, if I said that. But yeah, um, how are you are you? So you're not prepared, Mike. When's the concert? Uh, the I think I think we're pretty much prepared. We've got um, we're playing the punk festival uh, over the Easter weekend, so yeah, um, and then we've got some other gigs as well. So that will be good. But let, let let's we never asked Tambo how he is, and and the man's going through some monumental changes at the moment. We're not, we're <laughs> yeah. not talking the menopause; we're talking like <laughs> actual men. <laughs> I've been growing hair in new places. My voice is lowered. No, um, I'm I'm moving house. I'm right currently right now in the middle of moving house. I've had to stop uh, to record this podcast, so you should be very appreciative. Um, I mean, or, you should not. You should give us five stars just for that. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, you should. Look, <laughs> the, guy, the man stopped moving house just to record this podcast. Brilliant. Absolutely right. Um, but other than that, it's, yeah, you know what I mean? It's just one of, those, one of those things that you do in life that is um, incredibly stressful without really realising it. Um, to, to the point where I woke up in the middle of the night last week and I had my first ever panic attack, which was, um, which if you don't, if you've never had a panic attack, like a proper actual anxiety attack, it is quite scary. And I'd, I'd heard about them, um, but I hadn't ever experienced one. So waking up at three yeah. in the morning and just suddenly thinking I was having a heart attack and I was going to die for like five seconds. And I realized what I'd been thinking about before it happened was what I'm currently going through now, which is having to pack everything into boxes and move it. So for all the things to actually get stressed out about, there you go. I had one over a year ago and trust me, it's not nice. I was put my head outside a window of a car when going to the hospital because I thought I couldn't breathe. <laughs> yeah. It's not funny now, but it's terrific. Trust me. What was, what was your panic attack over anything in particular? I don't know. I just I had food and I was sitting down on the sofa. I was just downstairs. I normally don't even sit on the sofa. And then I just, I just, couldn't breathe properly and then i went upstairs put my head outside the window called my mum and then i should have laughed because i know it's horrible right? you know and it, obviously anyone listening to this who does who does suffer with uh with any kind of anxiety or anything like that you know it's a real problem you know we've talked about mental health on this show before and I, you know it's a, it's a subject i feel you know have strong views on it you know needs to be talked about um so I think, you know, you can look back at the <laughs> panic attack and laugh, can't you? But at the time, it really is quite terrifying. So sorry, I, you know, I shared. Maybe I shared too much or maybe not. Uh, before we move on, I just want to mention that uh, those of you who aren't on social media uh, and want to get in touch with us, you know, we know not everybody wants to be on Twitter because it can be quite a poisonous place and no, not everybody wants Facebook to steal all their data and what have you. So uh, if you aren't on any of those things, you can email us as well. Uh, with your questions or comments um, and you can do that to hi at backofthenest.com 
That's hi, H-I, at backofthenest.com. Not H-I-G-H. It's different. Just to say after any game, literally, just if you want to send a message, just do it. It doesn't have to be a win or anything like that. Just chuck a message over and we, we do try and discuss it. We certainly read everything that we uh, we get. Sure so. thing. Uh, okay, so let's delve straight into our first topic of discussion. It's the uh, juxtaposition between the first half performances and second half performances under Roy. And wh- what this came about from was in the week, I was feeling a little bit mischievous. Um, we'd obviously not performed particularly well against Spurs. And I um, listened to the post-match comments from Roy. I just thought, well, I've I've heard this before. I mean, you know, didn't start so well in the first half, were better in the second half. And I started thinking, well, there's loads of games where we've started quite poorly and Roy's had to make changes at half-time, doesn't seem to be able to make changes during the course of the first half, and seems to wait until the break to do it. Um, so I playfully asked uh, producer Mikey to put together a selection of, of post-match comments. And I think we got to, I'll be honest, I took, there was a couple of games missed out. So of about 12, of the last 12 post-match press conferences, in 10 of them, he's Roy Hodgson mentioned an improvement in the second half or having to come back into the game. Uh, to which Mikey put a wonderful, wonderful video together uh, that's on our YouTube channel, but you can hear the audio from that right now. Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb Babe I got you, babe I got you, babe Roy, just try and give us a few words to sum up how you're feeling because that certainly feels like a really significant win for Crystal Palace. Uh, I must say, at half-time, things were looking very bleak. But we made a couple of tweaks to our system and, and, and moved Wilf up front, which was, of course, the major one. And I thought we did much better second half. We needed to sort of just hang on another five or ten minutes. I think the goal came when we were, you know, just starting to find our feet a little bit. I think if we could have just held on another five or ten minutes... It was a bit unfortunate, the goal, with the deflection, of course. Um, had we not conceded that one then, I think, you know, maybe the last 20 minutes or so could have been quite interesting. It was nice to see today that we were able to control the second half as well as we were able to control it and to deal, of course, with the, the threat that we knew Burnley would, would pose with their long balls into the penalty area. But I thought in the second half we came out and... Played a lot better and got what I thought was a deserved equaliser. And at that stage, we were looking as though it could be us. We were comfortably beaten in the end. Uh, I thought that we we came back into it quite well in the second half. The second goal came too too quickly. We had a good start to the second half, but suddenly we were two goals to nil down instead of one goal to nil down. But then I've got to give the players an awful lot of credit. Uh, but I was really pleased, especially in the second half, the way we started to establish a bit more control as well. And of course, luckily enough, the, you know, the, the chances fell at the right times to the right people and we put them away. But second half, I thought it was really a, a very, very good performance from the Palace team. I thought that we created lots of chances. I know we ended up with 17 attacks and opportunities and we really swarmed around the goal and uh, tested Fabianski and missed a couple of very good chances. 
certainly second half, I thought we played well. In the first half, I've got to give Fulham a lot of credit. I thought that their passing and ability to keep the ball and ask questions of us was, was, was very good. Yeah, we thought if we got back in the game at 1-1, especially early on, that we would, we would go on because we had, you know, such a dominance of possession and we are always dangerous up front. You know, Wilf was having an exceptionally good game and was asking lots of questions. Asked the players to do really is basically what they did second half, you know, to keep going, to keep trying to do the right things uh, and to try and get back into the game and reduce the deficit at least and to win the second half. We did that, we won the second half, and I thought we won it quite comfortably, but we didn't win it by enough goals. But I was very pleased with our start to the second half. I thought we were playing well. I thought we were uh, more than evening the game out. Then put your... So there you hear it. Um... You know, again, that's not just so you to make it clear. That's not to take the Mickey out of Roy. We're we're not. You know, it is playful. It is it is supposed to be a bit humorous because it. You know, it. We, we have a lot of respect for Roy Hodgson as a manager and what he's done, and that's going to be a bit of a theme throughout the course of the show today. But, Dr. Mike, it's it's undeniable that Roy Hodgson has has had to make that excuse. I don't know if it's excuse or, or give that reasoning after a game. Quite often, we go into matches. We're seemingly playing very, very low key. We're we're not we're not playing with any urgency, any real energy in the first half, and we're having to react and improve in the second half. I mean, that's that's my observation. Do you think that's fair? Well, certainly the stats seem to, to sort of back that up. Um, but more than that, because the man isn't necessarily a reactionary manager, um, I think it sort of makes it look worse when he waits way into the second half before making changes. So if you take the game, um, well, probably the last two games we've won, actually, um, it's when Batshuayi has gone off that uh, things have changed, which is which is way too late. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, I can't think of a game this season where we've absolutely flown out the blocks and then been pinned back. I don't know if you, if you guys can think of any. I, I, I can't think of one. No, I don't think there is one. And I feel like it's a tactical thing um, rather than just luck. Because, as you said, there hasn't been any games that comes into my head um, that we started We started off pretty well and maybe uh, slowed down towards the second half. It's always the opposite. We always start off slow, it seems like, and then change up in the second half. Um, and we saw that yesterday with uh, Batshuayi coming off and Bentega coming on, which I feel like, it changed the game slightly, um, but even both of them, I'd rather have them both on the pitch um, at the same time rather than just have one of them on. I feel like we would be much better going forward if we did that. Yeah, I, I did I did find a couple of games where I, I felt we'd been stronger in the first half than we had in, in, the, in the second when I was going through the various matches. I think off the top, maybe, even though we ended up losing at Liverpool, was probably one. Um um, I think there was some. We we're, talk, were talking. I got back into like December and November in the end, which was pretty crazy. Obviously, Man City st- sticks out as well because you know clearly we were very, very good in that first half to get ourselves in the lead like we did. So it's it's not entirely fair to say it was every game, but it's the vast majority, um, in, in certainly in the sample that I looked at. Um, and you know, again, we're, we're struggling for reasons. For me, it it kind of sums up 
some of the issues that I do have with Roy Hodgson. And again, I will we will talk the, about the positives that we have with Roy. But you know, I I have a you know particular. I think a lot of Palace fans. May, well, I don't want to speak for everybody else, but you know, we are the sort of fans that really appreciate hard working players, hard working teams. But we've always really sort of appreciated width. You know, tricky wingers getting down the flanks, putting putting balls in the box, that kind of stuff. And I think it, sometimes it's very hard to, to kind of adjust from that mentality that you expect from Palace. And when we come out and we, we're just slowly knocking the ball around, it's kind of weird because I kind of feel like I've always wanted us to be a team that can do that, that has that ability to keep the ball, to not feel that every foot pass has to be a forward pass and to not have the crowd jeer it when, you know, when we're just retaining possession. But the problem I have with it is, generally speaking, it's the slow pace takes away the real strength of, of what we have in the team. You know, the, the best players we have are at their best when we play at pace, if you like. So I think we're not really helping ourselves in that sense. And I think, you know, it can be a little un, uninspiring. And I've, I've used the word turgid a couple of times uh, this year. And it just, you know, it's starting to, to eke away at me enjoying watching Palace, which is a shame. Yeah, it is. Um, And j- just on the passing, it seems like, when we have the ball, we just pass for the sake of passing. Um, we, when there's, if, if we were passing, you know, I know sometimes you have to pass backwards because you're not, there's always not going to be gaps going forward. But at, for the majority of the time, it's like we just pass because that player's open. Like we don't take that many risky passes. And then talking about yesterday's game, um, in the first half, we had the ball way more than we did against Tottenham because Newcastle were just sitting back and not and wasn't pressuring us. But when it came to the final third, and this is what I'm on about, is the fact that we don't really have nothing going forward. We just started putting high balls into Batshuayi, which simply isn't his strength. And that's what I mean. If we're going to keep passing the ball around, then we have to tactically set out in a better way than we are right now because it's not going to work. Uh, by just lofting balls to Batshuayi in the final third and just keep them, keeping them ball in midfield. That's just pointless. You're not doing much with the ball. I've got to say, I zoned out for a minute when you said that we appreciate width. Um, I, uh, I apologise. <coughs> sorry, sorry. Um, what I would say is, is it's Hodgson's second season um, and as such, you know, people will have watched his tactics, uh, watched the videos back and I do think that because we have no way of getting through teams that just sit back, um, we do seem to start badly just because every team now seems to be doing that against us. Um, obviously, especially at home, which is why our record's worse. Um, and so I'm not that surprised that we start off slowly. Um, the problem is that if we were to get the first goal, then things would probably um, go in our favour and we could hit people on the break. But because we often don't do, once we've gone one behind that's when we start playing the sort of game that I expect us to play where we're breaking faster. Um, and that's the point when we tend to look better. So I don't really, this sort of this eternal cycle of it just happening over and over again, unless we go one nil up like we did against Wolves or we did against Spurs in the cup, it hasn't happened very often this season. I think that's the main issue that I have as well. Um, is that is the fact that we're 33 games in last season, it worked out fine, but teams have figured us out. And yet we still go the same approach, knowing that it's not going to work. And then that's what we mean by first half versus second half, because then it 
we change up more often in the second half. And I know he's changed uh, changed his substitution and the timings of it uh, over the last couple of months, but you wait until the 60th minute to change up and then it's a bit too late. That's that's the main issue. It's, it's the fact that I'm, if like I know as a fan, if I know as a fan, how, uh, if teams know how we're going to set up, then Roy must know as well that teams figure, have figured us out. We need a plan B and it doesn't seem like we, we do have a plan B and that's where the main issue comes from because going forward, we don't have much to offer and but we've got the players. But it's just tactics that hold us back. Well, well, on that, I mean, again, it, sometimes it feels like it'd be nice to have a plan A, not really, not just a plan B. So, but what I mean by that is when we, the reason we, we struggle to break teams down is because we are in that very compact shape. And we've talked extensively about the, the benefits of that, the fact that it does, it does make the defence's job a lot easier. It does mean we can stifle uh, opponents quite easily when we have this really strong organized shape and that does make us difficult to break down and you look at our you know our, our goals scored goals conceded it's it's excellent it's one of the best we've ever had in the premier league this season i think we've only ever had a positive goal difference once um which is when we finished third and that was a positive goal difference of nine goals based on what i was reading earlier but i think we're what i think we were minus four is it i think at the moment uh, which is ex- yeah minus four which is sure extremely is. strong. That's a really, really strong performance. And, and, you know, that shows you the benefits that we do have, uh, although it does put a lot of pressure on us to take our chances uh, because we aren't playing anything like uh, expansive football. But it is a, it's a reduction in, in options. When you look at the way we play, again, particularly when Wilf is, is playing, we do focus the ball over, over to the side that he happens to be on or if he's essential, we focus it over to him. But quite often, you know, he's running past two, three, four players without really anything to aim at. There's very little to aim at in the box. You can knock it back down the line for usually Van Arnholt. Uh, but there's few fewer opportunities to knock the ball inside it. It's because we don't really seem to push up that well as a team. Or if we do, we're pushing up into areas that allow us to snap back into that recovery zone uh, if we happen to lose the ball. And if you actually look, there's a, a really good uh, graphic of uh, on whoscored.com of the average positions of players again. And it was really telling because, you know, Wilf is, is quite dramatically our furthest forward, forward player. But if you look at the way Newcastle sort of averaged out, it's a, it, it's a lot stronger for them because they 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 ended up almost looking like they had a front five in average positions because um, so many of the other, you know, the, the other players broke forward. They had two midfield, the two midfielders kind of sat there, um, but they, they really did push forward quite, extensively throughout the course of the game where you can quite clearly see Batshuayi's average position was in his own half. You know, that's your striker. That shows you how badly he had to keep dropping back to get involved because he was running around on his own, surrounded by players quite often, or, or we were punting up to him. So it's, those are all things that show you that we have this trade-off at the moment. And Roy, and he's, we'll get into this in the next topic, but he has chosen that trade-off with the balance that he's got, that the balance is on structure, organisation, trying to create a handful of good chances and hoping that you take a few. And that that's what we struggle when we're watching. Well, that, that minus four goal difference, though, it is frustrating in a way because if you look at... We, we, we went above Bournemouth, which is, which is absolutely great, but I think they've got a minus goal difference of something like minus 17. Um, and so you sort of think, well, how has it come that we've got 39 points and they got 38 and yet they've got a minus goal difference 13 worse than ours. Um, and like you say, it's a trade-off. But I think there was... Um, it's very rare that Palace get a proper discussion on on, on TalkSport. 
Um, but Adrian Durham decided that he'd, he'd, he'd have a chat about them the other day. I don't know if anyone heard it. Um, but he, he was talking about how he thought that maybe Hodgson had took the team as far as he could. Not not to say to get rid of him, but it's kind of hit the limit of his his ability as a player, as a manager, because he's he's managed to drill them so well. You know, we don't concede many. And obviously our goal difference is, is partly because we haven't been hammered by the top teams in the way that other teams have. Um, but you can't, you're not going to have that, that sort of player position with five five players looking like they're all forwards like Newcastle did simply because Benitez is just you know he's a genius and, and Hodgson is is great at what he does but it's what he does and that you kind of the, the trade-off is there and it's been there for the, probably the last 40 years of his managerial career so yeah I, I totally get that but um, and you know again I, I don't I'm trying not to sound like I'm, I'm disrespectful to Roy because um, you know our, our second topic which we'll, we'll get into now is it's talking about expectation, expectation of, expectation of fans, expectation of pundits, as, as you talked about there. Um, you know, and I suppose probably the players themselves as well. So, you know, the, the bottom line is we're, we're currently sitting in 12th place in the league. We've got 39 points from 33 games. We've had, you know, two decent cup runs. We've beaten Man City at the Etihad. It seems very odd that uh, the, the tone of this show today and, and over the last few weeks has been quite as negative as it has. So, you know, and again, I, I've talked about this on Twitter. I, I've questioned myself all the time over this. I'm like, am I just stuck in this rut of negativity? And, and I genuinely think sometimes that I am. And I and I need to kind of take that little step back. But it's difficult. And I, and I think a lot of the problems stem from the fact that we've had such a poor home record, you know, because the majority of people who, have, who go to games are going to the home matches. And it really has been slim pickings at home. So I think that has affected people's attitude towards uh, towards what we've done. But looking at what we've achieved, you know, again, we've got six games to go. We're on 39 points over the last, you know, well, over this run in the Premier League. So the first season, it's that 11th, 45 points. Then it was 10th with 48. Then it was 15th with 42. Then 14th with 41. And 11th with 44. And, you know, we're actually, we're... We have been the whole time, really. Um, with six games to go, we've got a good chance of getting near to that that forty eight points, which has been our best return in quite a long, long time. So, you know, you can, certainly can't say that Roy's doing a bad job. And you know, people outside of the club who don't watch Palace every week will look at that, generally speaking, and say, "Well, Roy's done a good job." But creeping in more and more, you know, even the casual observers are saying, "Actually, with that squad, he could have done more." And I've got some comments from listeners, but DR, I'll jump to you first. Yeah, um, so let's look at when Roy first joined the club. So last season when he joined, we didn't score a goal till October, uh, you know, seven games in. And if you look at the bigger picture, seven games, that's potential 21 points. We didn't score a goal. We didn't pick up a point and we still managed to get 44 points in the end. Right now we're in 39 points and it's still achievable, but the frustration mainly comes from the fact that last season when he came in, we done he done a brilliant job and he made us play he made us play some great football. We scored twenty nine goals at home last season compared to the thirteenth this season. And I know stats don't mean everything, but if you look at look at the football that we played just by the naked eye, we're playing some brilliant football. And I know we're missing two players and Ruben Loftus Cheek and uh, Johan Kobay that we don't have this season, but we still got replacements. It's not like we didn't replace him players. We've got Max Meyer, which I think, feel like is a replacement of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. 
which Roy, I've come to the conclusion that Roy doesn't really trust him as much uh, due to the fact that certain players like uh, Jimmy Mack and also uh, Jeffrey Slup, who get picked ahead of him and it seems like their performances are not as considered as much. It just Roy likes them more. It feels like that anyways. And then we got Kriate, who's a different player to Kabai, but Roy, uh, and we've seen good signs of him. But then again, I feel like we still haven't seen the full potential of him. And that's where the frustration really comes from. Um, this last season, he was a good coach. He got the best out of everyone. But this season, it seemed like there's a sudden drop and ne- and the stubbornness hasn't helped us at all. And no, I, I get that. that yeah. that's, my, that's my main issue. That's why I think people are expecting us to do better based on last season when he came in, we've done a brilliant job and we should still do better. But I feel like it's down on Roy because he just, he just has poor game management this season. Uh, and also, he just favoritizing certain plays. It's just... It's come to a limit now where fans are like, enough is enough. Come on, you have to change your... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. I mean, I don't disagree with DR very often, other than on on Drake. Um, <laughs> but I I really think that Hodgson's doing fine. It's the fact that it's so long into the Premier League now, and you look at those points, and they're roughly the same amount of points. Um, I'm thinking back. Do you remember a game? I think it was the first season we came up. Pulis was in charge, and we scored just like an injury time winner against Villa. Yeah, and the game was terrible like absolutely bollocks um but we scored that one and classic Pulis like three points and I was absolutely ecstatic now if that happened now I wouldn't be because we've now had six seasons of this Groundhog Day kind of it's nothing like Hodgson's doing fine for me it's it's the expectations and I don't want it to have changed in my head but it's just like well this is just repeating itself over and over again. And I, that's all it is. It's not It's not that something negative's happened compared with any other season for me. I think that's a really, really good point. Um, you know, you talk about the fact that you don't want your expectation to have changed. And again, you, going back to that game, that, you know, it was a last-minute, long-range Dwight Gale screamer. I, you know, I remember I was there at Villa Park that day and it, it was fantastic, you know, like any last-minute goal is. But... You're, you're right because we're having to to see we're not having to we, we just are seeing the kind of same thing every single season and the the trouble is you know when you take the emotion out of it it, it is what our club is you know the size of our club right now the you know the, the resources available you know the kind of players that we can attract it's they've been increasing but so it has for everybody else and so we really are the kind of team that has to grind out results. We are the kind of team that has to sacrifice a bit of flair 
for the points you need on the board to stay in the division. And Roy has done exactly that this season. And not only that, he's at times he's had a lot of struggles. So why am I fed up? Exactly as you say, Mike. It, it's because, you know, I don't want to use the word boring, but we're heading down that road. It's become a little bit repetitive and, and tedious. And you just feel that they're, at times, the shackles are on where perhaps they don't need to. I, I will come back to you, DR, but I just want to get to a couple of the comments made that sort of show the other side of this. Um, to the first was from Nav, it was a couple of tweets I've put together. And uh, he says this, The dangerous place to be for a club like Palace is not being content with a win, but being concerned with how we win. Rarely ends well. I think we need to accept we can't have all things. We can't have Roy's safe hands, a team which is well-organised but allows the best player freedom and also a midfield playmaker, flying wingers and a 20-goal season striker. And sort of backing that up, Stephen Sheffield has gone with it. It was a great away win. Clinical, we are roughly where we should be in the league, but all but securing our Premier League status for what would be a record seventh season. A lot to be positive about, yet some are still whining about Roy. The grass isn't always greener. Just ask Charlton fans. And Charlton get trotted out, sometimes by me, as an example of what happens when you let reason go by the wayside and you start trying to think about ambition and you start trying to think about progression and you start putting kind of expectation on your team that, it's potentially unsustainable and has been proven to be unsustainable elsewhere. And every season, people will point to another team and say, well, look at them. Why can't we be like them? You know, some seasons, it's a lot of seasons, it starts off as Bournemouth before they fall apart. Um, this season, it's Wolves. Last season, it was Burnley. We all point to these other teams doing these things that we think we should be able to do when you compare the squads and the sizes of the clubs. So there is a degree of reason to that. But I have to say, I don't, I don't think... To me, there's people going to extremes. You know, no, I personally, I might be wrong. You know, in terms of what other people are asking for, I'm not asking for us to go out and play ultra expansive football. I'm not asking for us to go out, play, you know, two players up front, push up both wingers with us. So you effectively got like a four-two-four going on. I'm not asking us to drop all the defensive players to not continue to have that, you know, rigid kind of shape that we're building our game on. But what I'm just hoping that we do, and it goes back to the conversation earlier, is instead of approaching the game with urgency when we fall behind, let's get ourselves in front in games with that urgency, and then we can play possession football, and then we can start knocking it about and exploiting areas, and then it's obviously easier to break, and the best teams do that. And of course, we're not one of the best teams. You know, We're not top six. We don't have that level of those level of players with that kind of ability. But we do have a lot of good players with a lot of great ability. And personally, I wonder why does why would why does Wilf want to continue to be at Palace when he's hitting his prime, when he's seeing so little of the ball and he's so often up there on his own, surrounded by three or four players with very few options around him. You know, why would someone of the, the quality of Max Mayer, even though some people are writing him writing him off, want to spend most of the season on the bench because we're not adventurous enough to play him? Why would, you know, Coyote want to hang around at Palace when we're constantly picking Jeffrey Schlupp in central midfield ahead of him, you know. And that's no, don't be too disrespectful to Jeffrey Schlupp because he scored some really important goals this season, but he's also played some terrible football this season with the greatest respect to him in terms of being a central midfielder in the Premier League. You've got to give everything context. He's obviously a very, very good footballer. 
But for me, I don't think I'm being unrealistic in my expectations to look at the manager and, and the, the board to try and find that formula, to try and find that, that extra bit to change the status quo, to stop us having to effectively watch the football equivalent of status quo. That, that was a, that was a good joke, <laughs> Theo. Uh, yeah, um, uh, you you made a good point. It really does depend on expectations of the club. Uh, I've said this before, and I'll say this again. If you look at the season, I am pretty sure that it will be seen as a success for one reason only: the fact that we stayed up. Because at the end of the day, as much as us fans want us to achieve the best things possible, it's a business, and the club all they care about is money. I wouldn't say all they care about, but mainly the main concern is, of course, the money. And that's free. It really depends on that. And you mentioned all them great players there. That's what that's what my main anger is towards, is the fact that we have got these players and we haven't seen them, we haven't seen the best out of them due to the system they're playing in. And that's why I think it really does depend on what the club wants as well. In the summer, if the if the club wants us to actually try and push on, which is risky because we could get rid of Roy and we could end up in another Frank de Boer situation and be fighting relegation. There's not that many Roy Hodgson's in the world. We, we went through the period, went through the Allardyce. We're not going to get another manager that could keep us up. That's going to be very hard. So uh, it, it so it really does depend on the club. And I want to see what happens in the summer. I think Roy, me personally, I think he can keep he can get the results to keep us up, but can he get the results to push us on to the next stage and make the club more um how shall I say it more approachable like for certain players? You know, if players want to join Crystal Palace after Zaha leaves, would they really want to join a Roy Hodgson side? Let's just say that. I doubt so because he doesn't play that great football. I've got to pull you up on the uh footballing equivalent of status quo thing there. I mean that, that's well, that's that's hard. Um, I once saw Francis Rossi on Brighton Pier um, mincing around, and he had what well, I think it's probably his granddaughter um, going around with him, about to go on one of the rides. He dressed her in a status quo t-shirt. Oh. I mean that is. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, there's some negativity here, but. I think we have to put it in context. We we are we are better than status quo. Yeah, you're right. I went too far, um, and I can only apologise for that. Dr. Have you ever heard status quo? Uh, I was just checking them up right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, my late <laughs> response. Um, it's a rock band who play uh, boogie rock. Do they? Yeah, well, yeah, they do. Well, yeah. apparently, yeah. boogie rock. Yeah, what? Boogie. What is it? Okay, what is it? Well, uh, that's that's new on me. You, you would have heard, probably on an advert or something, their, one of their top hits, Rocking All Over the World. Uh, um, you have to sing it. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't do that. Uh, but also, check out their underrated classic, In the Army Now. It's a song about being in the army now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was the Pet Shop Boys. Nah, In the oh, Army okay. Now is uh, status quo, mate. Pet Pet Shop Boys are another beat combo, by the way. Wait, is this band good? Because I don't know. Are you not taking like? Is it good? Is it well? I mean, they're they're no Drake, are they? But um, well, they wrote "Go West." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, "Go West" was a was a great. Anyway, um, yeah, let's get on with it. Yeah, I've got to carry. I've got to carry on moving house somehow. Um, So look, it's it's very very difficult. I think we want to address the fact, certainly that. 
expectations have risen. And they have risen to a level where we are starting to question what is undoubtedly a good result, set of results. Okay, The points that we have on the table are positioned in the table at this stage of the season. Um, and obviously, you know, again, we've criticised tactics as well at times. But to actually come up with the game plans to, to nick results and to go and beat City at the Etihad and to, you know, to keep yourself in every match, which is what we generally speaking have done, you know, you've got to praise the management for doing that and the players for executing those plans. That should never get lost in all of this where on this show we're, we're questioning whether or not, you know, we're, we're doing the right things. I think it just comes down to whether or not you're you're happy to continue to watch f- football being played out the way it is. And we are we are just one of the teams involved in that. In every single game, there's another team and another manager and another set of tactics that play a huge part in, in the game that we have to watch. I think we just would like to see us kind of embrace that, you know, the excitement that we had. And I think we did get spoiled, you know, when we had Zaha on one wing and Balassi on the other, and it was just utter carnage at times. I think we did get a little bit spoiled, but I just personally... For me, let's just dial up that intensity, particularly right now. And we've got an opportunity to do that. We're, we're safe in the league. Let's just see what happens. You know, you know what? I keep hearing everyone say, "Oh, if we'd been more more expansive than that, we could have ended up losing four or five nil." Well, we could also have won the game. You know, so let's let's go into a few more games, actually trying to actively win it from minute one, uh, rather than hoping we win it. Um, I think that's got to be the difference for me. Yeah, let's go into a few games just like we did last season. I think that's the start. You talked about Palacio, but we just look at last season under Roy. 5-0 Leicester. Look how we played there. Look at the passing. Why can't we just play like that? It's just simple things like that. We've got six points against Leicester again this season. Yeah, yeah I know, but... <laughs> The way that we played and uh, how we scored him goes. You look at the Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, James McArthur. I know Ruben Loftus-Cheek isn't there, but James McArthur's there. Zaha's still there. Um, so, like, it's just a simple passing like that. Sorry, I've just noticed that my laptop's unplugged. <laughs> I've got to try and find a way to get the power, yeah. the power back on without drawing attention to it. How well am I doing? I think you're doing pretty well. Um, Shall we move yeah. on to the next subject where you're yeah, sorting that well, out? Well, Mike, if you could take us into your topic, so take us into it and let us know what you're yeah. doing. I mean, this is this is a contentious one. Um, I, I would guess that everyone was hoping that we'd talk at length about Batshuayi and Benteke, but let's not bore everyone to death with that just yet. We'll go we'll go into that a little bit later. I wanted to talk about Guaita um, and how he's doing with Sacco out injured, and now obviously with Tompkins out injured as well. We'll have to see how that turns out. So on whoscored.com, and I know it's beginning to sound like we're endorsed by these bastards, but we're not. We're, we're, they're just a very useful website. Um, they've given him our uh, top rating. So he ended up with a 7.6, I think. Um, and he did, as the game progressed, he did really well. Um, some excellent saves. I mean, there was one header that was absolutely in his bread basket that an inch either side probably would have gone in. Uh, a couple of excellent one-on-one saves as well. Um but early on, he looked a little bit shaky coming out for crosses, particularly one a ball came over from the left from Newcastle um, and he punched it not particularly hard when it looked as though he could catch it. I mean, maybe there were some players coming into him. Um, but, you know, that's the way he's been brought up, um, punching the ball instead of catching it, fair enough. Punched it straight into the danger zone. Um, and then for the goal that was offside as well, um, looked a little shaky. So I, I don't think it's his technique. I, I You know, he's a great keeper. And again... 
when we're going back to this discussion about how our expectations have, have risen with Palace, well, obviously, um, a couple of seasons ago, you know, when we came into the Premier League, we wouldn't have ever mentioned Spironi making these kind of errors. So, you know, we're, we're nitpicking and we realise this and that's the point of this podcast. Obviously, we're not trying to be negative. Um, but, you know, it did seem like he'd missed um, a couple of things coming his way that maybe he should have taken. Um, and is it because he doesn't have Sacco there, who's clearly, you know, obviously calls himself a soldier for a reason. Um, he navigates defence pretty damn well, marshals it, all that kind of stuff, as does Tompkins. Without one of them, and now without both of them, um, is his job harder? And because of that, do we have to look back at when Hennessy played without them or without one of them and be a little bit less harsh on him? Um, it's, it's hard to say. I, I thought he had a decent game in the end, but he, he certainly had a, first, a shaky first 15, 20 minutes. I wouldn't go into looking at defenders that much. End of the day, the goalkeeper, is you know, he has to deal with what he has. And I think James Tompkins and Martin Kelly are both capable defenders. Or, look, with Gaeta, all I have to say is that, yes, he has had his moments, just like Wayne Hennessy has. But it's his first season in the Premier League, so I'm convinced he will improve over time. But the main difference from him and Wayne Hennessy is that I'm comparing Wayne Hennessy because that's two goalkeepers that's pretty much at a club. I wouldn't uh, talk about Jules because he's, he's not really in contention to play. The di- main difference is the fact that when when it comes to big saves, Vicente delivers. And he showed that yesterday and he showed that the game before. We didn't talk about it last week in the pod. And that's what really separates him from Wayne Hennessy with me. Um, it's the fact that he's still adjusting to the game. He has had his moments. And Watford game was abysmal. But even yesterday, some of his decisions decisions are questionable. But then again, as I said, he's, he's, he, he has them saves that does actually help us. In terms of shot stopping, I agree he's great. But then Hennessy's pretty good as well. Um, well, he's not. <laughs> well, Hennessy's not. Okay, that, so that, um, I'm, I've already you uh, listeners will know that I've sported Hennessy in, in uh, like before. He had this good run of form, but then he went downhill once again. Hennessy's not a good shot stopper. I don't think Hennessy's a good goalkeeper in general. He's had a good run of form, but Vicente Gaeta is better than him and has had his moments. The difference is, as I said, he's, he delivers when it's needed. No, a, couple, a couple of things. I mean, you mentioned the Watford game. I think it doesn't matter who was in goal that day. The, the conditions were absolutely awful. And you, yeah, you can't agreed. really, you can't yeah. judge any goalkeeper in that position. It's near impossible to, to play without fault. Look, I think he, it's interesting that he, he's starting to sort of panic a few people um, and myself included at times, I guess, uh, because he does occasionally seem to be a bit erratic. But I think I hate to say this, but some of the best goalkeepers are. I, I'd rather see I'd rather see someone who is that intensely focused on the game and trying to keep themselves as involved and on the board as humanly possible than someone who, who sort of sits there and is very, very passive. And I think, you know, we you know, obviously they keep talking back to Wayne. I think you made a really good point, uh, Mike, when you said should we be you know, perhaps have been a little bit less harsh on Wayne Hennessy when he was playing behind you know, a non-first choice back back two. And I think that's absolutely right. Guaita has struggled more without Sacco in there than he has, you know, with, with him. That's that's an undeniable fact. But bottom line for me with, with uh, Potente Guaita is that he makes proper saves as a goalkeeper. Wayne Hennessy will make you the regulation saves, occasionally will pull out a very good stop. Uh, but in general, he doesn't pull out the kind of save that, 
is like the equivalent of a goal, if you know what I mean. It's the equivalent of someone going up the end and smashing one in from 25 yards. Guaita has already put together a whole host of saves of that standard. And for me, I just have that extra bit of confidence that he might pull something out of the bag when when the the opposition have a good chance. And he makes regulation saves just as much as Hennessy does. But no one's perfect, and he's certainly not the perfect goalkeeper, and we shouldn't be expecting that. But for me, he's he's that extra level above, rightfully number one. And of course, he will have ups and downs in form like any other player. Yeah, totally agreed. Now, that probably illustrates the point, I guess, that I, I had in my head from this. In I was expecting him to not necessarily be a better shot stopper than Hennessy, um, but to be obviously more comfortable on the ball, which he is because, you know, Jordan much is. Um, but um, take the ball from crosses, that kind of thing. But what he actually seems to be is a goal, a, a reflex goalkeeper um, in a way that obviously Hennessy isn't. Um, and it seems like his strengths are not what I expected them to be from a, a, a Spanish import, which, you know, that's no, that's no bad thing. And I, I, I think you're right. Sometimes he does scare people slightly because... He's got that kind of languid style, but he is totally, you, you back him in a one-on-one situation and really Newcastle deserved, with the chances they had, the chances they created and the chances they actually put on target, probably deserved the point. So, you know, he, he has got to have been worth a fair few points in saves um, and clean sheets. Uh, I think it was one against, was it Huddersfield that he stopped? Uh, you know, I did not expect him to be so much an improvement in terms of shot stopping to Hennessy when we were told that Hennessy's strength was shot stopping. So I think that's the surprise. Oh, for sure. Again, kind of the underlying theme here of, of expectation versus reality, isn't it? And, um, and I suppose, yeah, that, that's reflected in, in the comments that we made. But yeah, I, I'm really, really happy with him as a, as, a, as a keeper. You know, again, like I've said before in the show, there's all, all sorts of rumours that were in the paper about us replacing him. He's come out and said that he's, you know, very, very happy at Palace. Doesn't seem to have any intention of going anywhere, which is great in my book. Uh, but we'll see what pans out with that. Um, I just like the fact that he seems to just be that little bit insane. And I always like a good insane goalkeeper. They always tend to be the better ones. And clearly loves the club as well. Yeah, definitely. Bought right into it, isn't he? All right, so let's just get into some of the more, more of the match detail, if we may. Um, so for me, the, the the surprise in the lineup, if you like, and I, I use the word surprise, and I don't mean really mean that word. Actually, talking about words, can I just acknowledge? Yeah, go on. The many the <laughs> many of you that are currently thinking about it. Yes, Dr. Made up the word favoritizing earlier on, and it's totally unacceptable. Um, oh, it's acceptable. No, I'll, that is, I don't care. You can do it. It's free world. Just make up words. Who made up the dictionary? <laughs> yeah? You made a. Who made up the dictionary? As uh, Dr. Samuel Johnson, but that, what why you, can't I make up words? Well, you and also we go back to our old friend Shakespeare from earlier. <laughs> he was uh, responsible for a lot of creation of words. So yeah, yeah, we need to do a more of a literary podcast, you and me, dear. I think. No, you but you can, you can make up words. It's fine. Oh, it's, it's language, right. language is ever evolving, isn't it? But I would not listen to that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I might. We might try one episode in the summer just to see how it goes. Go on. Uh, anyway. Nah. So in the lineup, Chake uh, Coyote dropped. Didn't actually have the greatest of games against Spurs, but then who did? Um, Bars again. So we, we've got a, a midfield where you know Lucas the anchor point in it, and either side of him, you've got uh, Schlupp and uh, and of course MacArthur. 
Townsend playing more on the right of midfield than he was as a right winger. Obviously, Zaha ahead with Batshuayi. And for me, I'm disappointed that Jake Kuyato has dropped, but I thought I'd use this opportunity to ask what we think of him in general. You know, he's brought in, DR, you mentioned, obviously, we brought replacements in for Loftus, Cheek and Kabai. And for me, Coyote is a replacement for neither, I have to say. But I really rate him and, and I think he does some excellent unnoticed work when he plays, but um, but not not picked for this game. Yeah, he has different strengths to Kabai. Um, I wouldn't say he, like he's an, he was an outright replacement, but he's still a replacement for Kabai. Um, we just, he just does different things. But I was, I don't know, I wouldn't say I was really surprised when I saw the lineup and Coyote wasn't really in there. Um, me personally, I think he should start. He goes, uh, what he does in midfield sometimes gets unnoticed. He's a brilliant box-to-box player. And even in game like yesterday, when we're asking for players to bring the ball forward and just go at the Newcastle's defenders, Kriate is one one of them players that could. He, he has the strength, he has the pace. So it would have, I think it would have worked out pretty fine if he did play but of course he didn't but I'm not that surprised um, to be fair but I've liked what I've seen I've seen I've, I've said but so many times but 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 yeah but, but. <laughs> well, you've added to it there haven't you by saying yeah. it repeatedly but, but, and but. of course you've said it in a way that Mikey you can, can clip and embarrass <laughs> you with later on never mind though um, no I think it's an interesting interesting summary you give there I think what worries me about it and you kind of sort of touched on it a little bit is that he is a box-to-box type and he will get forward and I think what worries me is that that's why Roy doesn't quite trust him yet that he will wander from his position and support the attack and I want that (laughs) in our central midfield I want them to get involved Um, but also to have the urgency and the, the you know the commitment to get back when they lose the ball and I think I really struggle with with the current selections in midfield which we'll talk about about you know, not always do they, after losing the ball, do they get back up and try and go back and win it. But for me, Coyote is that type of player. He gives absolutely everything he's got, but perhaps too much of a risk taker for Roy. The one thing I would say, and I always have this the other way around in my head, he did actually cost the club less than Schlupp. So in terms of assets, um, if you're just boiling it down to just that, you sort of assume Schlupp was like a free transfer or something. But... Um, he do, he did actually cost less. So, assuming that you know he's not as high, maybe in Hodgson's thinking as perhaps we assume that he should be. Well, let's talk about the the selection of Jeffrey Schlupp and, and James McArthur on such a regular basis. I, I think it's important to probably talk about the two separately. Um, so, for me, Jeff Schlupp yesterday was poor. Um, was very very poor. Didn't offer a lot and. Time and again in the in the formation that we often play when he's employed on the left of a central four slash three, depending on whether we're in possession or not. Um he has this thing he does where if we're being being attacked down the left, he has a tendency to take that opportunity to drift in mid to midfield and jog slowly <laughs> as they break, leaving Patrick Van Arnhoe exposed against at least one or two players usually a fullback trying to get on the overlap with a wide player, something like that. And forever I'm thinking, well, we've got him in the team. He's played left back. He's clearly played, he's played all the way down that flank. So he's every bit of knowledge he needs to go and help out Van Arnholt, but he chooses not to. And he's another one of those players who also, if he loses the ball, he loves to sort of sit there on his arse or 
on his knees and just sort of shrug at the referee like, oh, that should have been a free kick. Instead of actually getting back off his ass and going and chasing back. For me, and he does, don't get me wrong, he does it at times. He just has moments, little blips in the game where, in my opinion, he lets himself down, he lets the team down by just not having that bit of commitment. I don't know whether it's brains or whether it's some form of instruction from, from Hodgson in, in how he's playing, I don't know. But I'm always more comfortable in the few occasions where he's actually selected further up the field where I don't feel he's going to cost us. I've got to say, uh, you kind of assume that he's he was selected initially or has been selected in the past due to his work rate. And you, you do kind of sit there thinking, I you probably would put in more of a shift on the left. And I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people that just says that someone else should be playing for the sake of being argumentative. Um, but if his work rate is what Hodgson likes, it does seem like he's not supplying that right now. And when he doesn't supply that, you kind of wonder what he does supply. Um, I mean, I know if IU was playing, we'd just, we'd be moaning and that would be a whole segment. So, you know, I'm not advocating that Jordan IU makes it into the first 11, but he would be backing PVA up. And certainly down that wing, they had a lot more joy than they did down the other side. And that's the thing. He didn't perform as well. But if you ask me, who's going to, will you start next game? Yeah, I'm confident. And why? Because Roy trusts him. And that's been a kind of downfall this season, which sounds weird, but... He just overtrusts players, and one of them is James McArthur, uh, James McArthur and Jeffrey Slup. Don't get me wrong, Mac has had some good games and some bad games this season. So has Jeffrey Slup, but it sends a negative message out to the other players that's on the bench because it seems like you don't you don't really believe in them. So why should they try hard? And look at the most recent recent example, Max. Um, he played bad at home against Huddersfield and got subbed at half time. Yeah, it was a good decision by Roy at the end of it. Uh, Maka uh, came on and the game slightly changed. But then again, would the same treatment apply to Jeffrey Schlupp and James McArthur? No. And that's the thing. He seemed like he's biased on certain players. And that's what I'm frustrated about. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely true. And I know it frustrates a fair few people uh, reading on you know comments on socials and talking to people at games and stuff. That's the frustration. It's the, the disparity between you know, treating one player differently to others. But, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for managers having the players that they trust in the side. You know, again, going back a few years to when we talked about Dougie and him talking about what he'd learnt off of Warnock about how important it was to get plenty of leaders in your team and organisers, people who actually do, you know, translate what you're doing on the coaching pitch onto the onto the, the, the pitch for the for the actual match. And that is an important part of of management getting you know getting people you trust on the pitch but at the same time it shouldn't be to the detriment of the team and I'm, often I feel that it is you know you, you know we mentioned James MacArthur there James MacArthur he's had five assists this season scored two goals I think you know particularly when you look at the five assists it shows you how he he can be a very very important player and when he's on his game he, he makes a huge difference sometimes when you leave him out you kind of you really do miss him, but I just the only question I have with MacArthur is is whether or not I feel he's still the same player he was a couple of years ago. Whether or not I feel he's maybe in the decline right now, and I think he's perhaps not the the player he was for ninety minutes. I think you know bringing him off the bench to have an impact, he seems to do quite well there. Uh, give him 
you know, I think a little bit like when we, you know, when we played Kabai, we had to keep taking them off after 65, 70 minutes. I feel that a little bit like that, that, that should be the way we manage MacArthur right now, because at times, you know, he started the game so poorly against Newcastle. He really did. I felt, felt sorry for him at times, but you know, the other, the other sort of part of my brain is saying what a good player he is, you know, was for us and still is for us. Um, and it has been proven at various times this season. So I'm a little bit, the jury's a little bit out on MacArthur, but for me, Jeffrey Schlupp, as much as he's made some important contributions, I, I can't see how he can be constantly picked and be absolutely bulletproof right now. Uh, just one last thing on James MacArthur um, is that I think even though we criticise him or whatever, um, some of the stuff I've seen on social media, I think it's just unacceptable. End of the day, he's still Crystal Palace player. Um, I feel like it's, some people are getting personal with him, and I just want to say it just—it doesn't feel right. I, I feel like we should—we shouldn't really do that as a fan base. It doesn't look good on us, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, it goes—it goes back to what Mike said not too long ago about people being dicks on Twitter, and that's exactly what it is. What? Why? Why tweet a player? What's the point? What, what are you saying? Dicks on Twitter. Um, it it happened again, didn't it? Um, with Zaha. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about dick picking on Twitter. No, uh, <sighs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Wilf. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm almost. Well, I was the first few comments I saw about Wilf was him being called a diver, and I was hugely offended by those on his behalf because I'd have been absolutely stonewall, clear as you like penalty, and gets called a diver. But you know the racial abuse, which obviously we won't say what it was or or give the individuals any kind of uh exposure for what they said but um I, look it's you know it's a huge topic we can't really do justice right now but i, I mean it's we can at the moment. and mikey get ready to bleep this you're all a bunch of <laughs> aren't you so stop it <laughs> stop it but jokes aside though jokes aside we can call them whatever but the real thing that matters is the fact that uh, people who do have power, they need to send a message and actually say that, oh, just because you, you're hiding your name on social media, it doesn't mean that you can't get tracked down because we need to we need to actually track these people down and give them a punishment. People are getting away with it too much. And it's now, I think we're at a stage now where people are just putting comments online and they just feel like, oh, you know what? I'll just get away with it. It's fine. It's online. I haven't put my real name up there. Unless something actually happens, then it's going to continue. And this isn't isn't the first time with Wilf. And it isn't only Wilf. It happens to other players. So real action needs to get taken before it gets solved. Well, the worst thing is, though, I mean, with all this you know, the attention it's got of late, we've got this into this horrible situation where the the increased exposure of people being outraged, of rightly outraged by it, has now given more people that kind of, I don't hate to use the word bravery, but they have, they've got brave uh, games and they've got brave on social media about expressing those kinds of disgusting opinions of people, you know, and it's, it is so, so pathetic but we we've got to, unfortunately people just need to keep doing the right things you know reporting comments at games or on socials it's not grassing it's it's just dealing with a a cancer of society that needs sorting out and you know we just need to keep you got to stay the course because it will get at the, at the moment you know outside of football we're not we're not again not talking politics but in general we're in that place where some previously the sorts of views that people would keep very much to themselves. They've been given that 
license, if you like, to start expressing them. And as you say, Dale, it's about dealing with it. And, you know, I, I would fully support any team that would walk off the pitch as a result of that. I would fully support lifetime bans for anyone in a stadium who who's, gives any kind of hate abuse, whether it's, you know, race, religion, sexual orientation, whatever. It's just no place for it. You could shout all sorts of horribly unpleasant things at footballers without having to re- resort to the kind of disgusting prejudice that we're seeing. And I really hope that there'll be an end to it at some point, but probably not in our lifetime, you know, which is a, which is a tragic thing. But, uh, you know, Wilf did the, did it in the right way. You know, at the end of the day, he's the one who's scored the, you know, won the, sorry, won the winning penalty. And uh, he goes on Twitter, just laughs at people for doing it and more power to him for, for being able to shrug it off and laugh um, because it's pathetic. Um, but you know we did win. But before we got the penalty, James Tompkins had a goal disallowed. Um, we'll talk about his injury as well, which is a huge blow. But um, again, I've seen it back a few times. Initially, when I wrote the notes here, I was wondering whether or not um, it was being played on MacArthur was being played on side uh, by a player almost out of the picture. If you like, when you look at back at it on the highlights, but he wasn't. Um, so presumably, everyone was kind of all right with that being an offside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, wasn't it? Let's be honest. It was the right call. Uh, referees, they often go against us, but you have to give them credit when it's you. And that was a brilliant call. And obviously, they had a goal disallowed before that for a very, very good call as well. So actually, we got we got a good set of officials, I think, because I've suddenly, just suddenly realised as we're talking now, there wasn't one moment where I got annoyed yeah. with the referee. And yeah, I had no, nothing in my notes. So... I don't know who they were. I didn't pay, don't even know who they were. So they did a cracking job because I don't know who they were. I remember the faces, but yeah, it's not one of the most uh, noticeable refs. Um, it's just one of the ones that like Championship and Premier League. But if, if he's good enough, keep him in the Premier League. Definitely. A terrible blow losing James Tompkins for what looked like a very serious groin injury. Um, you know, all our, our first choice centre-backs now, obviously Kelly and Dan, you would think, were the immediate uh, pairing for the rest of the season if they stay fit. Dan definitely struggling for pace uh, since the injury, since he's come back uh, at a long, long time where he wasn't playing football. You know, Kelly, been a brilliant servant for us, uh, cracking squad player, does have a mistake in him. So interesting times at the back, but lots of talk. And um, I noticed uh, Matt Woosnam was putting it on, the, on Twitter as well. He watches a lot of the... Uh, the Palace youth talking about young Sam Woods, who we mentioned the other week. Uh, he's had one first team uh, appearance this season. He came off the bench in the cup game. I can't remember which cup game it was now, but came off the bench. So good time maybe to, to give him a chance, considering results don't matter a huge amount, right? I'm not sure, simply because we've got isn't it, Man City, Arsenal and Everton coming up. I mean, you could you could ruin the guy's mental state by the end of the month. Um, so, uh, got to be careful with that. I think. I mean, it would be nice, and I can understand why, but um, that's that's a bit of a baptism of fire. Yeah, I think after the City and Arsenal games, maybe, but ideally, you don't want you don't want him to play in them. But then again, with Wan Bissaka, he played in yep. high profile games, and he just fitted right in. So, them games can make or break you. But I, d- I doubt, I doubt Roy would um, start him because he's still got Scott Dan, and I feel like this is a, also a good opportunity for Scott Dan because he came from a, a very, very tough injury, 
and he just needs to slowly build his confidence up and I think this is a good time from here to end of the season and if he does have a future at the club then fair enough if he doesn't then he can get sold but he needs to start performing and this is the perfect time for him yeah for sure okay we're um, we're running a little long um, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll cut down more of the match chat we've got one particular topic I want to get into talking about so I'll just do a couple of summarising bits of some of the other things I was going to talk about uh, just Aaron Wan-Pazaka again, great performance, um, really stood out. And I, I thought to myself about how often it seemed to be him who was getting in with a clearance, no matter where it was along the back four, he started to really read the game brilliantly and he was covering his centre-backs. And I think he was, uh, I think it was seven clearances in total, three ahead of his nearest challenger, which was extremely import, uh, impressive, I, I, I thought. Um, but we know that he's, he's impressive every week. Obviously, great penalty from Luca, deservedly won by Wilf. Um, but it was, it really was a, a game we probably didn't deserve to win. Let's face it. I think Newcastle were the better side overall. But you've got to say we, um, you know, we we played the role that we had, which was weathering the storm and taking our chance. You've got to say we did that very, very well indeed. Uh, let's chat about Ben Teke. Um, slash Batshuayi and that kind of business. So obviously he missed one one glaring opportunity, which when I first saw it, I have to say, I just thought it was a little bit out of his reach and he was stretching for it. And I think people, I thought people were being incredibly harsh criticising him for missing it. But when you look at it, he actually probably could have stayed on his feet and just you know tried to side foot it in. Uh, it just shows you, men, you know, mentally he is struggling um, with that, that all-important element of a striker of actually putting the ball in the net. Yeah, which makes it's difficult. If you, we've got a comment from Palisash, so he said the last three goals we've scored have come with Benteke on the pitch and Batsway off. Should we be utilising him more? And going to that chance, I mean, you've got to say Batsway would have put that away. Um, and to me, it comes down to the fact that Batsway is left. And this, uh, you're talking about stats last week where you said he had. 20 touches off 79 minutes and, and Benteke had the similar amount off 15 minutes. Um, he just, he's got the last few minutes of the game where we've changed things up. You know, Zaha's come in a bit more um, and playing the way that I hope we'd be playing for the majority of the game. So to me, if Batshuayi had, had been on the end of that, he probably would have scored. And if he'd have been on the pitch when we were playing like we were towards the end, you know, I'm sure he would have been more effective. I know Benteke is great with the heads down and stuff, but this is a man with no goals this season. I mean, his confidence is not just shot. I mean, I don't think it's ever coming back. He's 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 done a Fernando Torres, hasn't he? I think that's a bit harsh. <laughs> like, I understand what you mean before, but first game back this season, for example, he was taking shots and even his attempted a bicycle kick. I feel like his confidence is slowly growing and it's, how long ago was that, though? I mean, yeah, I know, but it's great. It's helped. Yesterday, he came on the pitch, and the game changed. The other uh, the previous game, he came on the pitch, and the game changed. If if he's not confident, it's not good to him, though. It's yeah, not good it's, to him. Surely. It is him because we're putting balls up to him, and he's controlling it. Whereas when we have Batshuayi, the high balls don't work because he's not suited to that style of play. So Benteke does help us, but the question is, do you start him or not? I don't know. Um, you could potentially start the both of them. I think that's more of a reliable option because and you still have Benteke who could go up to the long balls and you have Batshuayi who controls them, 
and it's better at beating defenders. So you could start both of them. But I feel like Benteke, he's slowly growing into it and we have to be a bit patient because he's, as with Scott Dan, he's coming back from a really bad injury and we saw it with the Palace TV documentary. Um, you, you can see how hard it is, like mentally and physically. But he's done good so far. I think for me, there's there's sort of two separate points to consider. The, the first is, has or does having Benteke on the pitch make us a sort of a better overall threat as a team? And I think generally speaking, it does. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of truth in what you say, Mike, when you say about when he's on the pitch, the way we're playing. Um, you know, we have this weird tendency to stop crossing when he's on the pitch, which is which annoys the hell out of me. But generally speaking, if we are struggling for possession or we're struggling for meaningful chances, we are, to me, we're a more dangerous team with him spearheading the attack than anybody else that we have, just just for the nature of how we play football. Um, him as a goal scorer, is, he's shot, but he's shot in this team. Whether or not you, you know, a different manager or a different set of players around him would be, would make any difference, I'm not so sure. You know, we are a team who do not afford strikers a multitude of chances. We're a team who use strikers to bring other people into play, and sometimes those other people are too too deep to actually get into play. So we, you know, quite often we're we're selling our strikers short by by leaving them out there, hanging them out to dry a little bit. I feel um, it's not a good place for a striker trying to rediscover a confidence and a goal touch, and I think that's the problem with Benteke. But the other problem is people will always micro-analyse every single thing that he does uh, in front of goal. And he's doing that himself. You know, the, the ability to play an instinct, the ability to, you know, shoot without thinking, that, that's that gone. And um, it's very, very, very hard to get that back. You picked up on probably the point that I, I wanted to say much more eloquently than me. If you look at his heat map of the game, and there's no reason that anyone would, um, but... Um, Hardly any of it is in the box. Hardly any of it's in the in in the final third. He's he's playing the role of what the midfield should be doing. So, in situations where we're having trouble keeping the ball, like we have the last three games, especially against Spurs, we really had trouble keeping the ball for long periods. Um, he manages to calm everyone down, head it down, keep possession, that kind of stuff. So, in that situation, he is exceptionally useful. Um, we ended up with way more knockdowns than they did, you know, according to the stats. And I'm sure that's the majority to do with him. But when his heat map is just outside the centre circle, it just shows that he's doing the job that should be done by midfielders. So he's he's looking impressive in situations that he shouldn't be in um, or, you know, should only be in on the break. When it comes to actual stuff in the box like you want from your striker, it's non-existent. And I, I, it, you know, this is a this is a bigger problem than Christian Benteke, but I, I really don't think he's the answer. Well, again, and it's interesting you you point that out. And I agree with what you say, but it was also the problem for Batshuayi uh, before he got substituted. He spent most of his time. Again, look at him. He, he you know, he, he probably spent a little bit more time in and around the box, but his his average position shows him way back in his own not way back in his own half, but just inside his own half. So it shows you he was constantly having to chase back. Into get into the midfield, you know, really, and, it, and again, I, I said it earlier, Wilf was our furthest player forward. So you, you know, as a team, we are not playing to get anything like the best out of any of the strikers that we have. But what for me is really, really telling in how we were playing and, and how we approached the game and the effectiveness of Benteke was that 
in his, what, 28 minutes, wherever he was that he was on, actually probably a bit more than that with the injury time. You know, just called it half an hour. He won He won eight headers. And um, if you look on the other side, where Newcastle had more of the ball and played more long passes than we did, Rondon won seven all game, 90 minutes. Benteke wins eight in, in half an hour. That shows you the strength that he has and the way that, that we need to use him if we are going to play him. The, the problem is playing that way when he's not in the side. And that's what's doing my head in. We simply struggle under possession, don't we? It, it, it was, every time we, like Newcastle in the second half, they uh, upped, the, upped their game and pressured us a bit more and we just couldn't control control the ball. So ideally, you want both Benteke and Batshuayi because, Mike, as you said, you're not really that confident of Benteke being in the box. and But he still does a decent job. So Benteke and Batshuayi, where Batshuayi is more of a better finisher, would probably work out better but then again would Roy try that I don't know that's that's a thing with Roy he doesn't really change it change it um change it up and that's that's one of the things like we're probably not going to see it unless uh I don't know Andros gets injured or another player in midfield gets injured no absolutely not well again for this this I suppose is probably one of the most important parts um of the season it seems weird considering we you know we've just won three Three really good points. It's an, it's a very good away result again. Our away record is the you know fantastic. I think we either equaled or beat our most wins in in the Premier League away from home in a season. Absolutely fantastic achievement. Diabolical at home, but we'll gloss over that for the time being. But now we've got you know security. Obviously, every place in the league is worth money, but we've got the ability to now relax a little, see what see what we can do, see what options are there within the squad, see who's going to be with us for the journey, see who isn't. And I would love to see a bit of pragmatism from Roy, a bit of experimentation maybe, just try a few little things that he was too, not scared to try, but just, you know, he knew better. You know, he knew what he needed to do to get the results and he'd done it. So let's take advantage of that. We'll, we'll put it to bed. Okay, didn't particularly enjoy, especially the second half of the season. Really haven't enjoyed much of it, even though our form, the points we're picking up has been absolutely superb overall. When you look at it, look at the form table, I think, in the second half of the season. We're ridiculous. I think sixth, maybe. You know, you, you can't really argue with that, although we are pretty much every week. Um, but yeah, now's a good opportunity for him to try a few different things. And I'd love to see... Benteke and Batshuayi playing up top together, I really have to say. Okay, we'll wrap up with a couple of quick listener questions. Uh, Richard Evans got in touch and said, similar to the topic we are just talking about, now we're pretty much safe and it looks like it'd be very hard to climb higher up the table. So wouldn't it be best to use this opportunity to play out, uh, opportunity to try out some youth players? Again, the question is, what youth players do you have? Mentioned Sam Woods earlier on, who seems a good potential given the struggles we have uh, for fit centre-backs right now. Someone also mentioned Jaro Riedeval the other day, and I forgot he existed. Um, of course, he did play centre-back for us when we bought him. Um, but again, that's, that's another player out there that we could potentially use. Uh, but beyond that, I'm not sure who's actually pushing to get you know in and around the first team. You know, Kirby scored a great goal for Blackpool this weekend, but obviously he's out. I was about to say, if you haven't seen that, look up Naya Kirby's goal this weekend. Absolute cracker. And um, I know he hasn't he hasn't played a huge amount, but he's starting to work his way into that team now, which I think a lot of people were disappointed he didn't go to Blackpool and immediately play every minute for them. And immediately sort of started saying, oh, well, that's, he's obviously not as good as we thought and all this kind of stuff. But it takes players time to adjust. They have to earn their place. I think he's been managed quite well there by the sounds of it because they've made him earn that place 
and he started to put some performances in. I checked a couple of, uh, of Blackpool forums and some Twitter comments, and they really started to take a shine to Nia Kirby, and rightly so. So, but obviously, he's not going to be about, um, you know, the rest of this season. So, the only other, you know, Luke Dre has had some terrible injury problems. Otherwise, I think we'd have seen him already. Uh, trying to work his way back to fitness. I'm not too sure who else is knocking on the door. I guess maybe Tyrick Mitchell, uh, the left back. Maybe a good opportunity to see him play a few games. See if we've got that that new one Basaka at left back. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, those would be my my shouts for that. Any more from anyone else before we move on? Uh, I'm not. I'm not too sure. Like Sam Woods is the best shout probably, but it, it, I doubt they they will play because um, merit money, isn't it? You yeah. uh, every position worth what uh, is worth around two million, so it really does depend on what the club wants. Okay, last last question. I don't know, Mike. Do you want to take this one? Yeah, it's from uh, it's from Max Power, and I've got to say, hey, great name. Simpsons <laughs> uh, reference there, people. Um, it's not great to watch, but across the whole season, we continue to be effective. Is it right that we continue having the Roy debate, given the lack of alternatives? Um, if we didn't have the Roy debate to an extent, we wouldn't have much of a podcast, would we? Let's be honest. <laughs> um, and there's, you know, there's people keep asking every week. Um, let's talk about Roy. When we say, what do you want us to talk about? He comes up every week. So, um, you know, I, I would say probably now for the rest of the season, let him work his magic and see what he decides, uh, over pre-season. I would say it has been great to watch in periods, just, we come back to this again. Maybe not, not quite as as great as we were expecting. But um, like you talk about the points this this second half of the season. Now he's had a striker. Um, you know we're we're doing all right. So I think we'd we'd need to lay off Roy's Roy's back for a while. Um, yeah, he, he's done he's done his job now. For, so the last bit of the season will be coasting. Um, I have been asked by work colleagues that maybe I should concentrate on Hastings United for the rest of the season <laughs> instead of Palace because the season's over. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, I, he's effective is the key words you've put in there. He has been effective, so um, I can't fault him, to be honest. There's a couple of bits I want to take out of that myself, which um, the, the first is, you know, the, the reference to, is it right that we continue to have the debate rather than, you know, should we have, I, that's, I do struggle with that. You know, I totally agree with what you've said, Mike, in that, you know, it, it's in, people want us to have that debate. And I think it's probably the, the key topic at the moment. When you look everywhere, anyone talking about Palace, that's what they're talking about. Uh, but is it right for us to, I think you have to be careful. You have to toe the line a little bit in terms of showing some respect. What's really upsetting is how many people immediately jump to the age thing with Roy. And, it's it's not about that. It's not about age, really. You know, you can, you can disagree with the manager no matter what age they are. Um, and you know, I, I understand. You know, well, ultimately, it's a form of prejudice, I think, and we have to be very, very careful when you start talking about that kind of thing. So, you know, I do struggle whether whether it's the right thing to do to to criticise and anal- overanalyze to some degree uh, a manager who's achieved what Roy Hudson has achieved with Palace, let alone in his career, just these last couple of seasons. But I can't, I have to be honest, you know, and again, I said this on a conversation on Twitter earlier today. I have to be honest and say, I'm not enjoying it. I can't say, oh, you know, I'm loving every minute of it because we've got, we're in 12th position and we've got 39 points. 
I love the fact that we're in 12th position and we've got 39 points, but I'm not enjoying watching Palace right now. I hope that changes. And I don't want very much. I don't want us to completely switch from where we are to taking stupid risks. I just want us to have a bit more confidence and belief in the squad and the players that we have and actually trust them to to up that little bit of, you know, again, I'll go back to the word urgency, just up it a little bit and maybe see something different. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to point out, and he talked about the alternatives. Again, we haven't got time right now to go into what the alternatives are. And I think that is what a lot of people get get back to. We've got Roy. We know what we're going to get with him. And I've said it before, if we could, tr- if I could trust any manager to get us a result right now, it'd be Roy. Because I know, I know he can get us a result other than against Brighton or Watford. Um, so, but there are alternatives out there. You only have to look at the managers that have been brought into the Premier League this season. There's been some really you know, impressive. I hate to try and pronounce his name, but the guy at Southampton has, has done a very, very good job. Hassel, David Hasselhoff, that would do. Um, and Hafen Hootel, Hassan Hootel. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. That's exactly what I was trying to avoid, <laughs> having to say it twice. Uh, but yeah, he's he's done a cracking job, and no one really would know who he is. Uh, but look, there's, there's there's a lot of managers out there. There's a lot of different ways to do things. There's no. You know, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, isn't there, Mike? Uh, yes, including but not limited to tofu cats. <laughs> nice, nice. All right. Yeah. Should we, should we yeah, leave it there? Until next week, enough? we'll talk about Man City at home. Free, free nil victory would <laughs> be such a typical win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, obviously, uh, do check out the preview show. Um, no. What do you mean? They've done, haven't they? Oh, no, I'm confused. I don't know what day it is. No, check out the preview show ahead of the Man City game. <laughs> yeah, My head hurts they're done. It's only Sunday. The week hasn't even started. Um, yeah, it's Sunday, isn't it? Sunday. Sunday. That's what happens when you've had four days off and you've, all you've been doing is packing stuff into boxes. Um, so check out the preview show midweek. Um, as they look ahead to Man City, of course, Love Sport Tuesday night, seven till nine. Um, Dale, you'll be there again, I guess, this week with Nick and possibly someone else. Yeah, spoiler alert, I live there. <laughs> I'm in the studio <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I just have to leave my bedroom. Yeah, I'm there. I'll try to. Uh, I'll try. I'm going to try and make it back for at least one show before the end of the season, if I can. Obviously, moving has not really helped me there, but yeah, do check that one out as well. Uh, subscribe in all the usual places. Thank you to Mikey for producing and apparently dislocating his shoulder during production. Gotta go check out what happened there. Um, thank you very much to DR and Mike for joining me as well. Thank you to Pudders, who's been sitting there listening in and not saying anything, but he's, he's there. You might hear more from him at some point. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.